Welcome to the College Commons Bully Pulpit Podcast, Torah with a Point of View, produced by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion, America's first Jewish institution of higher learning. My name is Joshua Holo, your host and dean of the Jack H. Skirball Campus in Los Angeles. Today's topic is the Hebrew language, and it's my great pleasure to introduce Rabbi Josh Weinberg, who is the president of the Association of Reform Zionists of America. Josh made Aliyah in Israel, served in the IDF, and uh, presently lives in New York and is one of the up-and-coming rabbinical colleagues here in the Reform Movement and in America, and uh, he has a passion for the Hebrew language. Josh, tell me why we should care about Hebrew. First of all, thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here. I think we should care for Hebrew because language is a carrier of culture not unique to us, to the Jewish people. That's for all, all people. And language is the key to passing down the richness, the tradition, the culture, the understanding. Hold on a sec. Wait, <clears throat> how can it be the key if the Jewish people have lasted for 2,000 years distant from their language and their land? And we've done a pretty good job. Of so I would disagree with you that I would say either, right. even distance from their land, but not distance from their language. They always maintained a Jewish language wherever you are. And if you look you know, through Jewish history, right, you see that the Jews, wherever they landed, whatever host culture, they, they took that culture and made a Judeo language of it. So Yiddish is the famous example, Ladino. But even more than that, you know, in Greece they had a language called Judaismo and they had uh, Judeo-Arabic in, in, you know, North Africa um, because they understood. And there's, you know, there's a Midrash in Vayikra Rabbah that talks about, you know, we always kept our language, our dress and, and so That's on right. and so yeah. forth. And so, you know, they understood the importance of language. Uh, to carry on their culture and to keep themselves as a, as a separate. Now, today we look at separate as bad, right? Or at least but, we see it as problematic or, or potentially problematic. Y- yes, and people have accused me of you know, tribalism. Right, right, right. Um, yes. Of, of I've been accused of worse, but that's <laughs> okay. But, but the importance of the language and not, you know, even when they were writing in you know, Judeo-Arabic, they were still writing in Hebrew letters, in Hebrew script. Is that enough? Right. Writing in the script, if you're fundamentally language, I mean, the Judeo-Greek was written in, it's a Greek language, it just yeah. happened to be transcribed. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, is it enough? How do you measure that kind of success? You know, I, I would say I would say the importance of maintaining a Jewish language. Now, if we in America today said we want to adopt Yiddish or Ladino as our, you know, lingua franca, whatever, of, you know, communicating to each other, fine. But what I think, you know, the, the, the beauty of Yiddish is that the punchline is always in Hebrew. <laughs> you know, it's always, <clears throat> it's always something Hebrew. And what it is, is it gives you cultural literacy, right? It's a window into a, a culture that you can, you can open and breathe the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, it, and it's wonderful because even if you're a non-practicing, non-believing, completely secular, you know, you know, rejecting of all sorts of tradition because you have the language... It's, it's that window, it's that key, it's that, you know, it's, right. a, it, it's the Tzohar, you know, the, the window like in right. the Ark of Noah, you know, that, that, that brings you into that and communicates. And, you know, you look at it all, you know, the, the, the great immigration to the United States. 1891 to Exactly, yeah, the late 19th, early 20th century, right? All the Yiddish speakers, the goal was to assimilate, you know, you've right. read Irving Howe right. and all right. those right. things, right? And the goal was to assimilate and they quickly changed the language. But then they woke up one day, you know, when they were grandparents and realized that, oh, my God, our kids right. don't speak, right. don't speak Yiddish. They don't speak our language. Right. Because and, and, what is what does Yiddish mean? Yiddish means Jewish. Jewish. Exa- exactly. So you speak Jewish. 
And in right. fact, the, the older generation doesn't say Yiddish. They refer to the language itself as Jewish. I right. speak Jewish. Do you speak Jewish? Right. So, all right. So, so I get Jewish languages. I get Judeo-Arabic and, and Judeo-German or Yiddish or what have you, Ladino. I, I, I'm a half Ashkenazi, half Sephardi. I got it on both. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in that, in that uh, broken way that my art generation gets it. Sure. But let's talk a little bit about Hebrew. Yeah. Hebrew has a special place in the Jewish consciousness. Absolutely. It always has. It needs to. And you are a Dover Ivrit. You are a Hebrew speaker. You've lived in the, in Israel. Surely Hebrew needs some special treatment. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it has to. It has to. Not only do we have this sort of traditional understanding that is Lashon Kodesh, you know, the holy tongue, but the fact that Hebrew can be now our vernacular, um, I think, is a, is a tremendous success story of the Zionist enterprise. Right? And I want it to be the language... That, that Jews communicate to one another. You know, I visited synagogues in five continents. Five continents. And the only one that I couldn't get by in, in the Jewish language, the Hebrew language, you can guess, right? North America. North America, where maybe the rabbi, maybe the professional would come. Right. But, but what does that say, right? What, what statement does that make um, for we as a Jewish community living in North America as part of the global, as part of Klal Yisrael, as you know, part of, part of the Jewish people. We come um, by it honestly. You know, uh, about uh, 1,700 years ago, the Jews of North Africa, who were Greek speakers, were confronted with the same problem when Jews in their own community wanted to hear either scripture or perhaps mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. rabbinic uh, texts in Greek. And it was a tremendous uh, controversy. Right. And the Greek authorities intervened. But the need for monolingualism in the non-Hebrew language mm. has been part of the Jewish story of mediating between being a diaspora minority in a bigger That's right. culture That's right. and at the same time yeah. insisting on this unique uh, tribal, as you yes, call no, it. Yes, and, and Philo talks about it in Alexandria, right. and we have the rich tradition of the Targum where it was mandated that you know every right. verse be translated into the vernacular, whether right. it's Aramaic or Greek or whatever, and that, that's good, except now we have a... I, I think it's a problem that... Jews in North America largely see the world through translation. Not just of Hebrew, everything we encounter. Everything is, we encounter. Yeah. Monolinguals is an American it's pablum, affliction. It's yes, served it's, up to us right. in English already. Really. That, that's right. And we don't learn languages when we do that. But, but I think what we have to do is get beyond our Jewish identity in only religious terms, right? Especially for those of us and there are a great many of us in the you know reform movement who are not particularly religious, right? They're not spiritual. And the Pew study thinking. seems to agree with you completely. Yeah, yeah. And the Pew, and you know, you can play with the numbers however you want. Sure, it. sure. But, but you know, the, the connection. It, 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 think about what it would be like if every Jew, if your average American Jew or North American, you know, Canadian, whatever, walked out of their house each morning, picked up their local newspaper, and picked up a Jewish language newspaper. Okay? Think about what would happen. And, and let's add to this. You know, everyone's talking about mifgash, right? About encountering, meeting Israelis, coming to the... Here's the big problem with it. It's always on the English speaker's terms. Yes. Because it, there's, <clears throat> there's always an expectation that you Israelis have to come and speak in English. And there's Americans who make fun of their accent and make so, oh, we couldn't... Uh, but wait a second. Did it ever occur to you that maybe you should... Do that? And, and there's a similar, you know, if you want to get off on a tangent, there's a similar discussion being had right now in Israel about should Israelis learn Arabic, right? right. Should they learn right. the language of the exactly. other? Because language is so, so important. Um, so, so let's talk about some of the, the social baggage that comes with committing to learning a language. If you go to Argentina, up until very recently, Jews did what you say that you, you would love to dream Jews doing. Not so long ago, 
younger than our parents' generation, mm. they were still sufficiently Hebrew speakers in Argentina because of the educational right. commitment. They Argentina, could walk Mexico out, on the, cities, yeah, the walk thing, out yeah. on the street, they would pick up two newspapers, mm. and they would go, and, and it was a lingua franca for them. And, yeah, yeah. and the rates of Aliyah were very high yeah. as well. And they land in Israel, and they can speak Hebrew. Right. Yeah, yeah, they're functioning, yeah. exactly, right. at least right. in the beginning, yes. Uh, Canada, less so, but more than America. Right. The United States in particular, why is it that for American Judaism, as... We have resources, both, both we have attention, we have the capacity to de- devote our attention to this, we have the money to devote the skills and, and, and the institutional uh, investments to this. Mm-hmm. Why do we do it less than everybody when we could do it more than anybody? You, you know, I, I haven't done research on the subject, but my gut tells me that it's uh, an inherent issue stemming from our desire to be accepted in American culture. Still? Yes, Still. It, whether it's conscious or subconscious now, you know, several generations removed from it, um, that we are Americans. And when we Jews talk about multiculturalism, right, we talk about us Jews being involved in all, everyone else's culture, right. right? And we Jews pride ourselves in our kids learning Spanish and French and Latin and German and whatever, um, but we, not Hebrew, because it hasn't been defined as a measure of success you know, to, to be a successful person in society, right? You have to learn your multiplication tables and you have to learn to read and write and to spell and to do you know, all those basic things that your right. fifth grader learns. Um, but the Hebrew language has not been a barrier for which one has to cross in order to be a successful person in society, including in Jewish society, right? And we see the standards are low. I, I worked for um, the Reconstructionist Movement and I, I have a great deal of affection for them. Oh, I don't mean to slam them, but... Work. But when they came to me, I was their program director in Israel for their rabbinical students, uh, and when they said, you know, we're actually going to lower our, our standards for entrance, that you only have to have one college academic year of Hebrew right. language instead right. of two or three or whatever it was, that what do you think about it? I said, you know, sometimes less is more, and sometimes less is less. just less. Right. You know, it's just less. If we want to be successful, we want to, we want to have a vibrant Jewish community, you can't you can't do away with the language. I think you know if you said, "Oh, I love Shakespeare, but I read it in Spanish." Yeah, you're right. 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 You lose. I them. think I think people would look at you and say, "That's that, right. that's ludicrous." And we, and you know, we huh? understand. We, we we some of us still memorize Shakespeare, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore. Right, out. right, right. Uh, but we don't um, we don't have that same relationship with Hebrew, at least in the United States, in the Jewish community. T- t- tell me something that Hebrew alone can carry for Jews. Even like little textual things that you don't look at, like take names in the Torah. Okay, names are often they're given and then they're explained. Whether that's the correct historical, you know, source critical explanation, fine. You don't have to go there. But it's wonderful, you know. Take the story we're going to read in a couple weeks of of Yaakov and Esav, right? Jacob and Esau, and they're fighting, and then a few chapters later he gets cheated again. Right in chapter thirty-three, and 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 Esau comes up with it, and he says, "I know why he's called Yaakov, ki yakbeni zepamaim." Right, it's wonderful. He says, "I know why he's called Jacob." Essentially, if you were to translate it literally, you would say, right. "Because he Jacobed me twice." Right, right. It means he cheated me right. twice. He, he jewed right. me twice. Right. Right. Me. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Essentially, what he did, but he but he uses the name, yes. and and in translation. I read it. It says, oh, I know why he's called Jacob, because he cheated me twice, or he deceited me right, twice. because of the root of the word Jacob. And, right, and, and, yeah, but, but you missed that in the translation. Now, let's, let's use a you know, basic example, right? If I want to tell you, um, I said, Josh, you know, I'm very sorry, I have good news and bad news. That's how I'm being witty in English, okay? Right, right. But how do you say that to an Israeli? You know, Josh, yesh li bishvecha b'sorot iyov. 
You know, I right. have, I bring with you the tidings of Job. Jobian tidings. Right, exa- right. exactly. Now, the, the Israeli I'm sitting here d- did not read the book of Job. I, right, right. I, I can guarantee you, right? Right, did not grow up in yeshiva, did not get... It's that window you're talking about. It's, it's not exactly. claiming to be learned in the Hebrew language, it, but it's know, part of his If I see that you're sad in Hebrew, what do I say to you? Yeah, you know, right. your face looks like it's Tisha B'Av, and it, there you are, linked in. And I see this all over the place because, it, and, and Israelis use it in daily. You know, I, I have uh, they they use the language of the Bible because it's and Jewish tradition because think. it's living. Now, does that mean you know is it superficial? Maybe, maybe not. Are they all Torah scholars? No, <laughs> of course not. And I've been accused of, you know, sort of romanticizing and idealizing this notion that, you know, but, but, but there's a basic understanding that you are a Jew and you are tied to the Jewish tradition. Do they pray? And it's, you know, the old, uh, everyone, you know, the sort of now cliche, cheesy, the, the Israeli shaliach comes to reform summer camp and right. they're all yeah. saying Bir Kadamazon and they know it by heart, but he's the only one who understands it. Right. He's never said in his life. Right. And, you know, that, exactly. that, that kind of stuff. So, you know... Can I put a value judgment or say one's better than the other? Okay, no, I, I'm over that, and I would have ten years ago. But I, I get that, and what's more important, and inherently we all have to right. be good people, that's, and that's you know, <laughs> and, more, yeah, yeah. And, and, and do Torah and mitzvot and all, all that kind of stuff. But, but, what do I want from my kid? You know, someone was arguing with me, and they said, you know, I bet there are more people in Boston who are doing advanced degrees in Jewish studies than there are in Jerusalem. <laughs> Probably. I said, well, you know, th- that may be, that may be. I said, but I bet there are more five-year-olds that can read the Bible in the original right. in Jerusalem than there are in Boston. Right, so I'm, I'm looking for a wide sweeping thing. And you see it, you see when people start understanding this, that the culture is... And, and I felt it in my own experience. You know, when I joined a Beit Midrash um, in, in Jerusalem, you know, when I was 25, and... I felt like I had a very good, you know, solid Jewish education. You know, you know I, right, you grew up I, I was the right. super Jew, right? I was thinking, but I'm going with secular Israelis, and I had to play catch up because I couldn't read the text as easily as they could. And they I were yeah. raised in it; they're sponges, and they... that, that's right. And, and and it's the and it's the language, and they already get that. And I'll give you another example. I, I led Yom Kippur services in a kibbutz in the north of Israel a couple of years ago, and it was wonderful. And and. Instead of Shacharit and Yom Kippur morning, we had a text study. And so I brought some texts and, you know, tshuva and what do you bring on Yom Kippur? You know, we had this argument for two hours with the, with these kibbutznikim on, on Talmudic texts, and they loved it. And, and one woman came up to me, she said to me in Hebrew, she goes, Yesh lecha od textim ke'ele? You know? She said, do you have any more texts like this? I said, I said no, actually, in the past words, we've exhausted the entire Jewish bookshelf. You know, that's it. I said, you know, I said of course, of course. There's a whole... Right, know, right. Thing. There's she, something that she could even imagine wanting because she had access in the first place. To well, she thing. didn't... She was, I always thought it was for them, pointing to the Orthodox oh, community. Right, right, right. And I said, well, who are your heroes? She said, well, of course. You know, Bialik, Chernachovsky, right, right, Agnon. Although I said, well, this was there. They, they swam That's in right, this. Right, right. You know, and they swam in the evolution of Jewish texts that came up, you know, from the Tanakh to, to Yiddish literature all the way, you know, to the 20th century. And she said, do you think I could study this? Also? I said, you already have the first key. You already have the right, language. Right. You know? There are interesting problems that come up that you've... Uh, edged towards with respect to the shaliach, the emissary from Israel who comes to camp right, and, right. and is, is radically unfamiliar with the religious language but knows the language language mm. and can add. 
uh, I once had an argument with an Israeli over the term uh, Yom Hazikaron. Mm. Uh, for him, it meant the, the Day of Remembrance of Fallen Soldiers in Israel. And, of course, the reason he raised it was because he was our guest at Rosh Hashanah. And Rosh Hashanah is Yom Zichron Trua, right, the right, right. memory of the blast, whatever it means. Yeah. But when we say Kiddush, it's just, uh, we refer to it as Yom HaZikron. Yom HaZikron yeah, That's yeah. right. And so he says, why are, we, why are we being mournful on Rosh Hashanah? I said, we're not being mourned for. He said, yeah. but you called Yom HaZikaron. And, and he knows. He knows the word. He, he understands. But, but he couldn't get past the linguistic barrier right. of Yom HaZikaron. Now, that was an example of it being an impediment. But the point is that you're making, if I'm hearing you, is that he could even ask. Right. That this, this was an open question to it him. It catches he, to him, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's the problem. And here where Zionism and, and the Reform Movement are actually similar. So take one more example. What do Israelis hear when they hear the words Yamim Noraim? Ah, uh, right. They're like, oh, Noraf. You know why? Yeah, they're so right. terrible. You know, right. like, it sounds yeah, great. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's like, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, that's not exactly what you know. Read that again. And here I think you know the Zionist movement and the Reform movement are actually parallel and similar in that they were both revolutionary movements from the you know 19th century that slashed and burned. Yeah. You know, it took out everything. But the ones who were doing the slashing and burning knew what they were cutting yeah, out. Exactly. Okay. Now, fast forward five, six, seven generations, and you don't know what you've changed anymore. I remember I grew up... Right, what, we've what, lost our roots, is what you're what, saying. What, what, not yeah, lost, yeah, not yeah. lost. Both, too, too both Israelis and, and Reformed right, Jews right. don't really know what was taken out. Right. right? So they have the remnants, but they, you know... It, I had a friend in Israel who, is, who would identify as Datlash. They are Dati Lesha'avar, formerly religious. Right. Lapsed okay. Jews. Right, exactly. So I said, okay, so how are you going to raise your kids? I said, I want my kids also to be that lashing. Right. You know, how could you be? Yeah, right, exactly. I said, so, so how are you going to do that? You, you know, and so it's a, it's a problem to, you know, with Israelis. And I think there's this innocent curiosity. And that's why I believe, and that's why I genuinely believe that there's uh, an exchange there that we as you know, North American Jews, diaspora Jews, whatever, do have what to offer to Israel because um, we have figured out how to make Judaism vibrant and alive in a privatized setting. Yes. Right? Right? And, and we know how to, yeah. you know, build community and, and do all but those things. But there has been a real <clears throat> cost. I mean, the linguistic uh, commitments, as you said, going back to the early reformers in the 19th century, they yeah. quickly went to German. It was part of their That's reform. Right. It was ideological. It was purposeful. Now... In addition to us not necessarily knowing what we're cutting out, what about the, sh- the sheer problem of complacency? What if the reform movement is complicit in elevating middle-class convenient values over the hard work of learning a foreign language that has no practical use except the assertion of identity? Right, right, and, and, and we're guilty of it. <laughs> uh, Sean, that, that, that's exactly it. Exactly because, well, that's a harsh indictment. Because, that's you know, okay, that's my, that's my, you know, review. That, yeah. and, and that's, and that's, right, exactly. And that, that's the criticism I'm leveling to the American movement. It's not too late. We can do something about right. it. Because Israel is around, it's not too late. We have these well, Yeah, and also, you know, I think that a lot of people are thinking about Hebrew school differently, right? The sort of great unifying experience of the American Jewish people that we all suffered equally, right? Through, right, through right. Hebrew school, which, you know, Israelis think, wait, you went to five years of Hebrew school, but you can't speak a word of Hebrew, yes. right? To understand that this is actually a living language. It's not just about the Siddur. It's not just about, I want to follow along with the prayers and I want to do that. No, wait a second. You know, there's something to be taught here. There's something to be experienced and that 
you have a conversation with Jews around the world. And remember, you know, even in the 19th, you know, or in the Middle Ages, right, that's more your area of expertise, but uh, uh, if a tshuva was written from, you know, a, a Jew in Poland to a Jew in Yemen, it obviously a, it's, it's going to be in Hebrew. It's going to be in Hebrew. And I don't think Hebrew is ever really a dead language. I want to pick up on know? that. Well, very important. Uh, it's important that we uh, illustrate the historical connectedness, not only to the land and the uh, the idea of Israel, religiously right. and physically, but also the land, uh, the idea of Hebrew right. uh, as as a living language. It is, in fact, the case that the Zionist project did not really revive Hebrew. It didn't out of nowhere. It did revive. It did a tremendous work of revival. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. Hebrew was a living language, not just with um, response to rabbinic uh, decisions, but also with business and literature and poetry. Absolutely. And yeah. so, yeah, more than just the, the Jewish languages that are in other languages, but Hebrew letters, Hebrew itself is a font from which to draw Right. Uh, uh, real, real uh, knowledge and, and yeah, and it pains me because I, I would even say that we have, or some of us in the movement have an allergy to it. You know, I, yeah, I go to Jewish right. conferences all the time, sure. right? And we see when they put up words in Hebrew on the screen, it's only in transliteration. Right. And, and and here's the response that I get: they said, "Well, no one would be able to read it anyway." And I said, "If you don't put it." then you right. will help ensure that no yeah, one will be able to read it. Right. You, you know, and it's an, it's an ideological, even if it's a little bit of extra work to format right. on the computer right, and right. put them up, Although but ever it's, it's, it's uh, come on, yeah, right, 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 right. Um, I'm like, is that the big Although issue? Although the, the, the Sidur has uh, gone in, in the Josh Weinberg direction. It has, our Mishkan Tefillah has indeed right. foregrounded more Hebrew. Right, and, and I think that's great. Yeah, yeah, I, it's, um, and, and it's I elegant, it's by the way. It doesn't affect, it's not ugly. Uh, right. It's quite beautiful. So I, I want, I live for the day when the rabbi can get up and give a sermon in Hebrew. Yes, right. Well, you know, Mordecai yeah. Kaplan yeah. of the Jewish Theological Seminary sure. was pained about his feeling that he really couldn't give a lecture in, in Hebrew. Yeah, um, he couldn't Yiddish, but it, yeah, right, yeah. it, it bothered him. So I want to wrap up with a specific uh, question for you. I want you to tell me one potential solution to this very, very um, deep sociological, economic, Mm -hmm. uh, ideological, educational problem. What would you do within within a certain sense of uh, reasonableness in terms of resources? What would you do if you had a platform to promote a policy in the reform community to advance the knowledge of the Hebrew language. So, so I would do three things, right? One, day school education. You have to do it with serious Hebrew-speaking programs, modeled after the European model of the Tarbut school, yes. where everything is done in Hebrew. And if we pooled our resources, we could make it affordable. Second thing I would do is summer camps, right? Summer camps, there's only one, to my knowledge, in the entire reform movement with a Hebrew-speaking village where the kids come, they enter 10th grade, and they're spoken to in Hebrew for seven weeks straight, only in Hebrew, right? It's called Chalutzim. It's in uh, Wisconsin at Olin Sang Ruby Union Institute. One of the great camps. Full disclaimer, you know, full, you know, I'm a graduate of the program. I'm a Debbie Friedman. Friedman, Debbie Friedman, everything. And you can see, you know, it really changes you. And the third thing I do is I would open Hebrew language Ulpanim. And I'm interested in doing that for returnees from Israel experiences who Uh, realize... Follow up on birthrights. Exactly, exactly. And I think actually there's possibly for a real partnership with the Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion, and and I think, you know, the congregations to get on board. It's not a cost-prohibitive endeavor. Uh, I, I think it's actually quite simple, and we have to start offering it because that's also our common denominator. 
You know, there are people who like to pray, who don't like to pray, who want to be involved in committees level, who find passion in social justice, and who you know want to be involved. All sorts of different things, but everyone can come. You know, to, to the Hebrew language. I think I, I love your ideas. I would yeah. point out one thing: the day schools, immersion in Hebrew, all subjects. Great idea. I would love it. But what is key here is not the money. It's the guarantee that the students who go there will still get into the colleges that the parents want them to. You achieve that, yeah. and you make sure their SAT scores are high and their acceptance rates are high in, 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 in the traditional colleges that middle-class Jewish parents want their kids to go to. Then you have a conversation. Yeah. So to that, I think that's an easy one, actually, because you look at the yeshiva world, and you look at kids who have come with you know, really poor or minimal what we call secular, the core studies yeah, yeah. secular you know math science all that right. stuff they all end up getting into good colleges right, right. the second thing is that there are a number of French and Spanish immersion schools yes and they do very well we Chinese do, as well yeah, so. Chinese schools and they all do fine yes. you know they all do fine well you so gotta make that pitch I'm, I'm less worried about it and, and my fear is that when people say that to me that's actually an excuse for something right, else yeah, that's no, yeah. I'll, I'll be very blunt about it because I think I, I think you're like, really, is that is that what you're concerned about? Or are you concerned about something else? Just pretend right? they yeah. are concerned about it. And yeah. Make your case stronger. Sure. And then we'll yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Fair enough. I, but I think that the research on the other, you know, immersion, yes, language immersion schools uh, shows that, you know, they all do fine and they you know, are, are actually more successful. I, I'm reading all this stuff about, you well, know, how to do a bilingual family and, you know, raise your kids and all that kind of stuff. And I think, well, then, uh, uh, let's, uh, let's yeah. get there. Uh, for, it's good yeah. work. Yofi, well, thank, thank you so much for having thank me. Thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, we look forward to other conversations at the Bully Pulpit. Yofi. Thanks, Josh. You've been listening to the College Commons Bully Pulpit Podcast, produced by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please join us again at collegecommons.huc.edu.